0: You are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene online at BethanyNaz.org my name is Pastor Chris. I am one of your pastors at uh, Bethany First Church. And I, I am excited to, to be able to bring a word uh, to you this morning on this New Year's Sunday, on this Epiphany Sunday. And so uh, I'm, I'm hopeful uh, that God will use me today to speak to you, to bring a message of truth, and, and to kind of maybe inspire us as we kind of look forward into 2020. I will tell you this. I love the new year. I've always been a big fan. New Year is one of my favorite holidays. It's, it's one of, to me, one of the most exciting times that we have uh, in, in our life. It's, it's this moment in which we often get to reflect on what has taken place the last year. It's a moment in which we get to reset our, our life and kind of analyze where we're at, uh, what has taken place, where's my life at, where's it going, and it's an opportunity for us to look forward. I love the new year. I love New Year's resolutions. I want to ask this question. How many of you, just raise your hand, do you set New Year's resolutions? I'm interested. Who who sets New Year's resolutions? Just raise your hand. Come on. Be brave. Be brave. Not very many. Okay. We are not a very goal-oriented group around here. No. I like to set New Year's resolutions, and, and I've been browsing Facebook over the past couple of days, and, and I've started, it's, it's been funny to me to see some of the New Year's resolutions that I've been seeing scroll. I, I saw this one uh, post, uh, this, this girl, she, she said, my New Year's resolution for 2020 is I actually want to get the clothes from the dryer into my drawers. That was her New Year's resolution. And I saw that, and I thought, man, Hannah would love it if I chose that one. I mean, she would just be ecstatic if that was my New Year's resolutions. But no, my New Year's resolutions, this is going to be crazy. I want to do 36,000 push-ups and sit-ups in 2020. Yeah, she would like me to get my clothes from the dryer to the drawer, and I chose to do push-ups. She's she's not super excited. I I realize that I've started this New Year's resolution. I have 35,650 push-ups to go. And I cannot feel my arms at all. I'm, it's going to be a long year. New Year's resolutions. I, I saw this one uh, that said, my New Year's resolution is that I want to read 50 books this year. 50 books. And I thought, that's really cool. You clearly don't have kids. <laughs> you don't have kids if you can read 50 books or Netflix at all. You don't have anything like that. I see people choosing things like words, words for the year. I, I've seen some uh, called intentional is a word that people have chosen for this year. I've seen a word, uh, a brave is a word that I've seen this year. Purpose, people choosing these words that, that they feel like are, are going to bring value and meaning for their life over 2020. Things that they want to focus on. I've seen all kinds of good stuff. I, I've seen read the entire Bible this year, I want to start journaling more. Uh, I, I, I want to serve more. I want to, I want to run more. I want to maybe lose some weight. I want to get healthier. I've seen all kinds of great New Year's resolutions over the past week that people are trying to add to their life in order to be more productive and a little healthier and better. And most Christians that I know are beginning to think about their life and they're reflecting on their walk with God and they're deciding to choose a discipline. Something that they can kind of focus on in 2020 that can kind of recalibrate their Christian walk and and kind of get them focused on where they need to go. We're picking these things up. It's just kind of the season that we're in. But this morning I want to look at a passage of Scripture that I believe Jesus begins to teach to His disciples. And in this passage of Scripture, it's less about what we do. I want you to hear that. This passage of Scripture is less about what we do, and it's more about being. It's more about who we are as followers of Christ. It's less about what we do and more about being. So I want to set this context up. The passage that we're going to read is John chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. But I want to give you a little backstory, Because this is a well-known passage of Scripture. And if you've been at church any amount of time, you've heard this passage many, many times. But this passage comes directly out of a situation in which Jesus has walked into a dinner party with His disciples. And we know it as the Last Supper. Jesus is sitting there at dinner, and His disciples are beginning to come in one by one to this dinner party. And Jesus has actually got a bowl and a towel, and He's actually kneeled down. And as His disciples are coming in, He's washing the feet of His disciples. And here's the scene. The disciples are like, Jesus, what are you doing? Don't do this to me. Do not do this to me. Do not wash my feet. I should be washing your feet. And He's going, no, 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 I have to wash your feet because i got to show you something. I want to show you the way that I want you to live. They sit down to dinner and Jesus begins to teach them many things and, and He's talking to them about, about what the, who God is and, and how they can know God and, and who He is in, in God. And He begins to teach them about the Holy Spirit. He's like, I'm going to send my Spirit to you. And The disciples are, are in this dinner and they're just probably thinking, what is He talking about? Why is this happening? What is Jesus trying to say? You see, Jesus knows that Peter's about to deny Him three times, one of His disciples. He knows that Judas is about to betray Him. And He's sitting at a dinner party with His disciples, and He's going, I'm trying to teach you something. I'm trying to teach you about this relationship with God thing, so that you can do it when I'm gone. I need you to know this. And then Jesus starts in at John chapter 15. And it says this, you ready? I, I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. Let that marinate on your heart for just a second. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. As I read the rest of this passage, I want you to imagine what a gardener does. Some translations, it's not gardener, it's farmer. I want you to imagine what a farmer does. The occupation of a farmer and a gardener to care for its crops. To care for its people. Its livelihood. I am the true vine and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you're like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me, And my words remain in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. A few years ago, Hannah and I, we bought a house. And uh, in that house, I remember looking at it for the first time, and I, I went out into the backyard and I analyzed the back porch. And, and two the things that I noticed immediately was we have these two willow trees in the back of our, our yard. I remember uh, talking to some people about our house and these willow trees, and, and I remember one conversation was like, you need to cut those willow trees down. Those things are a nightmare. And I remember thinking to myself, but they're they're beautiful. I mean, I really like them. They're not like your normal tree, you know. They, They drape down and the vines hang down to the ground. And there's something really beautiful about them. But I remember every single summer as I am mowing my yard, there is nothing that I want to do more than cut those willow trees down. I mean, as I am mowing my yard, I get closer and closer to the willow trees and my anxiety starts to rise because I know I'm about to have to walk under vines or to just scraping across my back and my face. And one summer, I just couldn't take it anymore. I was like, I'm done with this. This thing has gotten overgrown. I mean, I can't even see the tree trunk. There are so many vines hanging off this willow tree. And so I stopped my mower and I went and I borrowed a chainsaw from my brother. And I take that chainsaw back to my house, and I begin to look up at this willow tree, kind of like, where in the world do you start? And I made my way through the vines, and I got underneath it where I could start to see some of the branches, and I began to realize truly how overgrown this willow tree was. I began to all of a sudden realize that although the willow tree from the outside looked, looked really good, it actually was very, very unhealthy I had not realized that that underneath the willow tree there were actually a lot of dead branches. Branches that that had no longer been able to grow because there was no room. Because this willow tree's owner, me, had not taken care of them. And I began to cut out the dead branches and I began to, to saw off them one by one as they began to fall. And as I began to pull them out of this willow tree, I got all the dead branches out. And I stepped back from the willow tree, and nothing had changed. Nothing. Because I only cut the dead branches. There was no life on them. There was nothing that nothing about the willow tree had changed. And so I go back through the vines, and I begin to look up again, and I begin to realize I've got to cut back some of these live branches that do have vines on them. And I began to cut these branches out of this willow tree. And one by one, I began to pull them out and throw them back. And I kept cutting and I kept cutting. And I got to this place where I began to realize, like, man, I'm cutting a lot of branches. I I don't know if this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And I would step back occasionally. I'd look at the willow tree. And I kid you not, the willow tree, every branch that I would cut, it would raise up just a little bit more. I would cut out a live branch and I'd pull it out and I would step back and I would look and it was as if the tree was getting happier and more excited and it was starting to come back to life and it was like I no longer am bearing the weight of all of these branches but the branches that I want to bear are beautiful. It's beginning to fit. It's beginning to work. You see, I realized in this moment, and I began to connect back to this passage, this is what it looks like when a branch is connected to the true vine. And it's connected. And it has purpose. And there's a plan. And there's a gardener who's willing to care for it. You see, this passage has a beautiful picture of who we are in Christ. It has this beautiful illustration and beautiful picture of who we are called to be in Christ. I am the true vine. And my Father is the gardener. You know, the the hope and the grace in this passage happens right in verse 1. My Father is the gardener. When I read this passage, I can't help but begin to think in my own life, thank the Lord that I'm not the one in charge of making sure that I'm gardening my life to the direction that it needs to go. Thank the Lord that it's not totally on me. My job is to stay connected to the vine, but God, who is the gardener, you see, the gardener is the one who has planted me. The gardener is the one who who is raising me up. He's the one who is watching me grow from the tiny little seed. The gardener is the one who is watching over me, caring for me, shaping me, and guiding me. As long as I can just somehow stay connected to the true vine, the gardener is the one who is cutting out the branches in my life that I don't need. He's the one who's willing to prune back branches this idea of pruning is an interesting conversation to me because as I was cutting out the branches of that willow tree it became difficult for me to choose which branches I need to cut because after I cut the dead branches all the rest were alive all the rest had beautiful vines on them in some capacity or another You see, you and I have a lot of really, really good stuff going on in our life. Many of you wake up every morning and you find this time and this moment for devotion with God. You're here in church today, which means that you're plugged into a community in some way or another. and, And week by week, you find yourself gathered in community with others in order to worship Jesus. And many of us find places and areas to serve, and, and many of us are in a small group, and we're in accountable groups, and, and many of us give and, and we invest, and we do all of these things that are practices and disciplines that we should be doing as Christ' followers. This idea of pruning, though, is this idea that the gardener, he looks at a branch, and he looks at places that do bear fruit. And yet He still cuts them back. And I think it would be really hard to cut out places that bear fruit if if we're doing our devotions and we're doing all of these good things and yet God sometimes wants to look at those things and He wants to go, I need to cut that out in order that you will grow and bear more fruit. As I did a little research on the process of pruning, one of the things that really stuck out to me was this. A person who does pruning on a tree is actually shaping the direction that they want the tree to go. The person who is doing the pruning on the tree is actually the person who is shaping the direction that they want them to go. They're shaping the future of that tree. Verse 4 says this, Remain in Me, And I will remain in you. I think one of the things that we do often is that you and I, as followers of Christ, we get so busy on the doing. We get so busy on doing this thing that we call following Jesus. We, we fill our lives with more doing. We, we fill our lives with, with more reading and, and more prayer. And we fill our lives with more service. And we fill our lives with more giving. And, and we do all of these really, really good things. But there are times in our life where we forget the reason as to why we're doing it. There's times in our lives where we forget the reason why we're doing it. You see, this morning, I want to challenge us a little bit. And I want to ask you a question. Are you connected to the vine? Are you connected to the vine? I think we can do a whole lot of really, really good stuff in our life. I think we can live the way of Christ In our life and in our everyday. And I think it's possible that we can do that and never truly be connected to the vine. I heard this uh, story, I got to go to a conference a few years ago, and I got to hear the CEO of the Ritz Carlton Hotel talk on stage at this Christian conference. And it was, he has an incredible story. He, he came to Christ later in his life after he had gotten cancer. And, and I don't know if you know this, but the Ritz-Carlton owner, he, he made a lot of money in his life. And he came to Christ later and he begins to share these stories because not only is he a follower of Jesus, but he's also a very, very successful businessman. And so he gets asked to go and speak at conferences and different things all the time. And one of the interesting things that he talked about when he was sharing to a group of pastors and leaders uh, about the success that he's had in business and the way that that connects his life in Christ, they asked him this question all the time: "What's one of the most? What is the reason why you are so successful? Why is the Ritz-Carlton so successful?" He says, "Our goal as a hotel chain is to provide the most." the best customer service and luxury hotel in the world. I mean, we want to care for every single customer like they're the most important person in the world. We are ladies and gentlemen. Serving ladies and gentlemen is their mission. And he says we never get into a meeting in a room. We'll we'll gather our executive team and, and the people that make decisions. and We'll gather together and we never start a meeting talking about profits. We never start a meeting talking about bottom line or budgets. We never, that's not the first thing that we go into. Those things are the last things that we get to. He says every meeting we start, we talk about who we are. Every meeting that we begin, we talk about who we want to be. We talk about the mission and we talk about the vision. And our goal is to be the best service hotel in the world. And he says this to this group of pastors. He says, if you are focused on being the best at something, the profits, the money, the bottom line, the budgets, those things tend to take care of themselves. And I remember making this connection that as Christians, we oftentimes approach our relationship with God with this, with this kind of anxiousness and this, this worry that we're not doing enough. We sometimes approach our relationship with God with, with I need to read the Bible more. i got to read more Scripture. I have to internalize more Scripture. And reading the Bible is good. And we sometimes approach our prayer i like, of not praying enough. I need to be praying five times a day instead of three. I need to be praying more. I need to be focused more. I need to be more intentional time with God. We sometimes have this. I need to go to church more. I mean, I need to make sure that I'm there every single Sunday. We sometimes tend to focus on doing instead of just being. Because if you and I are connected to the vine, if we remain connected, in Christ, if we abide in Christ, if our focus is on being as connected to Christ as possible, those practices, those become a response out of our love for God. Those practices, those doing types of things, those become a response out of our love for God. I, asked, I was talking to Pastor Mike Brooks about this sermon yesterday, and he sent me an amazing quote that I love by Dallas Willard, and it says this, Grace. Grace is not opposed to effort. Grace is not opposed to effort. Grace is the love and grace of God is not opposed to what you do. It's not opposed to the fact that you want to read more and, and have more disciplines in your life. It's not opposed to your effort. Effort is an important part of our Christian walk. But grace is opposed to earning. Grace is opposed to earning. We don't do these practices and these disciplines to earn the love of God. You don't do these practices and disciplines to get a better seat in heaven. They're not Grace is opposed to earning. You're not going to earn that grace. You and I both know that God gave that to us freely. It's a gift. Our job is to learn how to accept it. Not earn it. And live into it. I'm going to invite our communion servers to come on up. And you can go ahead and and start serving. So as I've been dealing with this message... And wrestling with it over the last 24 hours, I've been asking this question, and I want to ask it to you. How do I know? How do I know if I'm connected to the vine? How do I know if I'm connected to the vine? How, how do I know that, that my effort is not out of a response to my relationship with God or, 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 if it's, or if it's just about me doing more? How do I know if I'm actually connected to the vine? And, and I, I just was praying about this question. I was kind of asking my own self this question. And I feel like God gave me something here. How do I know if I'm connected to the vine? Does your life reflect the person and character of Christ? Is your life producing fruit that benefits the other? Are you becoming more forgiving? Are you becoming more loving? Are you becoming slower to speak, slower to anger? Do the fruits of the Spirit start to resonate in your life? Do your branches begin to produce fruit? How do you know if you're connected to the vine? I think it's pretty simple. I think our lives begin to look more like Christ. I think the person of Jesus that we read in Scripture, if you're connected to the vine, all of a sudden your life begins to imitate moments that look like His. All of a sudden when somebody comes against you, when somebody is angry at you, you don't respond back with anger, but you respond back with love and grace. I think there's moments in your life where if you're wondering, am I truly connected to the vine, do you pick up humility? Do you pick up grace? Do you pick up love? And if you're looking and you're kind of doing some analyzation of your own life and you're you're looking into your own spirit right now, and if you're going, man, I do a whole lot of church things, I do a whole lot of Christian things, but my life isn't changing a whole lot, transformation isn't really happening. 2020 is gonna kind of be the same year that 2019 was. I'll act the same, I'll interact with my family the same, my kids the same, my co-workers the same. You see, connected to the vine, it makes us respond. It brings change in our life. We have got to be people that day after day, week after week, year after year, because of our love for God and God's love for us, we are changing. We are moving closer to the center of who God wants us to be. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, betrayed, he actually taught this passage to his disciples. He was teaching them because he knew he was going to go. He wasn't going to be there. And so He took a cup and He took the bread and He broke it. And He looked at His disciples and He said, every time you eat of this bread, remember Me. So that's what we do. We take it and remember what Christ has done for us. And he took the cup and he looked at his disciples and he said, every time you drink of this cup, I want you to remember that I've shed my blood for you. That I gave my life for you. And that you will remember me. So we take it and we drink it. We've got a few minutes here and so Harlan is going to play us a song. And here's what I want to do. I think it's important for us to spend the Sunday headed into 2020 in a time of prayer. I think it's important for us to somehow find a way to get connected to God. Maybe you've been disconnected from God. Maybe you're asking yourself the question, am I truly connected? I want to spend these next few moments in prayer. And I want to open the altars. They're open. You can pray in your seat. If you need a pastor to pray for you, we're going to have them down here at the front. But I want to spend these next few moments just in worship and prayer about what God is going to do in our lives, what God wants to do in us as a church. And I want you to be continuing to pray for Pastor Rick and Annette. So Father, help us to respond. We want to be connected with You. We want to be connected to the true vine. We want our doing as followers of Christ to be out of response to the love that you have given us. So it's in your name we pray. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.